and and also just want to say i just resonate with the life lifetime journey around food i mean i think for some of us food is our eating is like a keystone habit it's sort of the thing that if it's in place everything feels on track and even if we're having a really hard day we feel resourced to meet the day and if the food is off then you know then we struggle at a level that's just deeper and even if we're somewhere great with great people doing great stuff. If our eating and our food is really off, it, it doesn't matter. Like we're kind of miserable deep down at the deepest level. So um, it's kind of shocking how far some of us need to go into a food journey to, and it just, it keeps being our teacher, right? Again yes. and again and again. And because we have to keep eating, it's, it's sort of, uh, it becomes a barometer, right? Like, how am I doing? Like, how, how am I with myself? How am I with my life? You know? Um, so anyway, I just resonate with what you said about the, the journey, the long, long journey with food and decided to just use drugs as often as I could. I just became a party girl really. And, um, and I lost a lot of weight that way. You know, I graduated from, alcohol pot and psychedelics to crystal methamphetamine when I was 16 and dropped out of high school and had a lot of drug-induced psychosis and um, then cocaine and crack cocaine and by the age of 19 I was a prostitute and living in a loop from the crack house out to prostitute and back into the crack house. You are listening to the ultimate biohack for women, a movement of women who know what they want and go get it. You know the answers lie within reach in and grab hold this is a movement a movement of women who tune in and turn themselves on now you're biohacking the woman's way integrating the art and science of hacking your biology like a woman tap your magic conjure your yes upgrade elevate maximize your potential i'm dr brandy victory and this is a movement a movement that is sure to hack your soul. First, know that you're a strong and amazing woman. I, I want you to know that I get very deeply how cha challenging it is to regain control of our health, our eating, and our relationship with food. In my journey to overcoming disordered eating and obesity and a host of other things, addressing the subconscious programming is essential to healing. I can't tell you, countless times I started a new program to find myself three to five days later, I had completely forgotten about it. Or I'd try a different program to find that the ones that seemed to work for everyone else had the opposite effect on me. I'd get fatter and find myself in a deeper, darker black hole, wondering if I was going to be able to dig myself out this time. It's very stressful and a very scary place to be. And I am grateful to say I no longer live here. I help my patients every day remove the subconscious interference that keeps them stuck in patterns so that they can change their habits with grace, with ease, and they can move into a new experience in their physical body and in their relationship with food. We have to understand that the subconscious runs all the automatic functions of our body. Our breath work, our heart rate, our blood pressure, our digestion, our metabolism, often our mood, our nervous system, and our habits. So if you have habits that seem to be on automatic pilot and you're having trouble getting control of them, the subconscious is something you might want to address. The programming that's in the automatic function, in the background, running the storyline, 
can be changed. I'm living proof and my patients change every single day. I see miracles every single day. So if you feel like you're ready to investigate, just investigate. If you have some curiosity about what's stuck in my automatic pilot functions, what's causing me to stay unable to move past these challenges with relationship to food, challenges with doing what I'm gonna say for myself, challenges with my self-care, then give us a call. I wanna offer you something special. I wanna offer you a complimentary consultation. So my consultations I usually charge $97 for, but I want you to have the ability to at least find out if there's another way. There might be a better way for you, and I don't want anything to stop you. Click the link below and get yourself registered for a complimentary consultation. I do these virtually and I do these in person. So I will put both links below. If you're in the Boulder area, I am here for you. And if you're somewhere else, I am still here for you. So let's not let you live in a state of darkness, fear, and decline. Let's turn your life around and let's make it the easiest possible. So you're not fighting against yourself, but rather working as a team with yourself to achieve the goals that you know you're able to do. All right, I can't wait to see you. So hello, ladies. Welcome to the Ultimate Biohack for Women. This is Dr. Brandy Victory, your hostess. And I have got a wonderful woman today. Her name is Susan Pierce Thompson. She is an adjunct associate professor of brain and cognitive sciences at the University of Rochester and an expert in the psychology of eating. This is a really, really hot topic on my show. And uh, I'm sure that this is gonna be a very enlightening experience. She is president of the Institute for Sustainable Weight Loss. Can you believe that? Weight loss can be sustainable. (laughs) Like it's real, (laughs) all right? And she's the founder of the Worldwide Brightline Eating Movement. Her first two books, including Brightline Eating, The Science of Living Happy, Thin and Free, became New York Times bestseller and instant Hay House favorites. Her work weaves the neuroscience of food addiction with powerful insights from positive psychology and 12-step recovery to outline a roadmap for achieving true integrity and self-authorship around food. I cannot wait to talk about this. The Bright Line Eating mission is to help 1 million people around the globe discover lasting food freedom and have their bright transformations by 2025. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks, Dr. Brandy. It's great to be here. I'm very excited about this. So you don't really know much about me, but I've had my own eating disorders and been 12 sizes bigger than I am now. And, you know, um, OCD with food, like literally obsessive compulsive disorder with food. So uh, recovery for me has been a lifelong journey. Uh, and I haven't through all of that. I've done like all the programs, if you will, and I've never heard of Brightline eating. So could you kind of give us a little synopsis of what Brightline eating even is? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, actually I think to understand what Brightline eating is, I think it's, it's probably best if I share a little bit about my journey and say how I got to it, because, without knowing kind of the birth story, I think it can not, uh, it's just not possible to really have sort of a full fleshed out embodied understanding. Like I can give you the, you know, here's the cheat sheet of like, right line eating is do this, do that, do that. It's a community, it's support, it's blah, blah, you know, but like, that's not going to really help someone understand, right. What, what right line eating is. Yeah. So, um, 
So I think I'll answer your question kind of um, from a side street and it'll be a way better answer. Um, and and also just want to say, I just resonate with the life, lifetime journey around food. I mean, I think for some of us, food is, our eating is like a keystone habit. It's sort of the thing that if it's in place, everything feels on track. And even if we're having a really hard day, we feel resourced to meet the day. And if the food is off, then, you know, then we struggle at a level that's just deeper. And even if we're somewhere great with great people doing great stuff, if our eating and our food is really off, it it doesn't matter. Like we're kind of miserable deep down at the deepest level. So um, it's kind of shocking how far some of us need to go into a food journey to, and it just, it keeps being our teacher, right? Again and again and again. And because we have to keep eating, it's, it's sort of, it becomes a barometer, right? Like, how am I doing? Like, how, how am I with myself? How am I with my life? You know? Um, so anyway, I just resonate with what you said about the, the journey, the long, long journey with food. Um, mine started, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it really started as a kid. The seeds were there as a kid. I wasn't a really heavy kid, but by the age of 11, I weighed more than I weigh now. Um, and, I wasn't concerned about it really until maybe high school. And I was concerned about my weight at the beginning of high school, but how that manifested was kind of sideways. I did mushrooms and had a great time and decided to just use drugs as often as I could. I just became a party girl really. And, um, and I lost a lot of weight that way. And Mm. drugs can be a really effective weight loss strategy. If all you're caring about is the bathroom scale, which of course isn't, uh, healthier wise or productive. So, um, you know, I graduated from alcohol, pot, and psychedelics to crystal methamphetamine when I was 16 and dropped out of high school and had a lot of drug-induced psychosis and um, then cocaine and crack cocaine. And by the age of 19, I was a prostitute and living in a loop from the crack house out to prostitute and back into the crack house. And that was me until I was 20. And at the age of 20, I, um, I got struck clean and sober. You know, I went to a 12 step meeting. It worked. I stopped using drugs and alcohol and I haven't had a drink or a drug in 25 years, 27 years. Oh my gosh. Time flies. 27 years. Wow. Coming up on 28. And, um, and my addiction hopscotched right over to food and I started packing on weight really fast. And because of the horrors and the depth of addiction that I'd just been through, it didn't take me long to realize that my eating was an addiction. Mm. And that became just very obvious. I was, I was using when I was eating, you know, at night, the bags and the boxes and the, the raw cookie dough and the pints of ice cream and the, you know, I was using, I was really using and, but I didn't really know what to do about it. I tried a 12 step program. I went to lots and lots and lots of meetings for food and my weight just kept going up. And I, you know, I would sometimes get some relief, uh, followed by, you know, more just sort of out of control eating. And, um, I did through, uh, an offshoot 12 step program. That's very, very doctrinaire. I did lose all my excess weight when I was 28 and I have been in a right-sized body. I don't know what to call it really. I call it a bright body because there's no good term for it in this society, right? I'm not talking about judgment. I'm not talking about, you know, twiggy, you got to be skinny or whatever. I'm talking about like, for me, this is my right-sized body. This is, you know, I don't, um, I'm not worried about my weight. I 
I'm, I'm in a body that genetically and sort of movement wise and embodiment wise is my body. And I've been here for 18 years and that, you know, I, I did get clinically obese in my mid twenties. So to go from obesity to, you know, a right size body and be there for 18 years is it's extremely rare in the medical literature. It's just extremely rare. So, um, anyway, meanwhile, um, Food addiction is something that can coexist with a pretty productive life. You can kind of eat your way through all kinds of things, including college and university and all sorts of stuff. So even when I was still eating, I went to back to community college and transferred to UC Berkeley and got straight A's and spoke at the graduation and got into every graduate school I applied and ended wow. up with my PhD in brain and cognitive sciences, and then did a two-year postdoc in psychology at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia, um, and then finally became a psychology professor. And I taught psychology at colleges and universities around the world for 16 years. And um, I was teaching with tenure a college course on the psychology of eating and the neuroscience of food addiction for many, many, many years. And I was uh, just for fun and for free as a volunteer, just helping people lose their excess weight, recover from food addiction. And um, in my morning meditation, one morning, God, the universe, whatever you believe in or whatever force there is, I don't know, uh, said, write a book called bright line eating. And I, that was January 26th, 2014. I'd never heard those words in that order before bright line eating. And it just came as a mandate in my morning meditation. And I set off to write a book called bright line eating. You know, I never intended to start a business. I didn't, I didn't expect it to go that way. I was trying to write a book, but what happened was I started an email list so that I could grow a big enough following to attract a publisher so that I could actually publish my book through a publishing house, which is not that easy to get a book deal with a, if you're a first time author with a publishing house, you have to have a, some sort of following or platform in advance. So I was trying to grow that and build that. And people just needed a course, an online course. They were asking me, how do I eat out? How do I feed my kids? How do I handle restaurants? How do I know if I'm a food addict? How do, you know, how is my brain working? Explain my brain to me. And how is it hijacked by these foods? Tell me again. And so I knew that I needed to educate folks. And so I started an online course called the Bright Line Eating Bootcamp. And it was a two-month course. And people started to take it from all over the world. And so I became a, an unwitting, reluctant uh, entrepreneur and started this Bright Line Eating movement. And so that was in 2014. And now, you know, 110,000 people from around the world have taken Bright Line Eating courses and programs. And, you know, something like 2 million people have joined our, our email list over the years. And yeah. um so it just, it just mushroomed and the book got published and did become a New York times bestseller and all the things, but, um, the, the pain around food, because even though I've been in my bright body now for 18 years, uh, my food has not been dialed in all that time. I've, I've had my, my slips and my forays and so forth. And, um, so the pain is what brought me to this and oh, I'm going to take a breath there. Um, but I think with that backdrop, I will be able to better answer your question of like, what is bright line eating? So I just wanted to pause. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, wow. I just want to high five you for the strength and the courage. There you go. That you have to have taken that journey, especially at such a young age, like to get 
caught up at 16 in crystal meth and crack and become a prostitute to becoming who you are today and getting the education and writing the books and helping so many people like that is a huge, huge transformation and journey and testament to your purpose here on this planet. Well, thank you. It's humbling. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just super grateful. Yeah. I don't know that I've heard, I've heard lots of stories and I don't know if I've actually heard anything that's that, like that big of a transition, like from there to Mm. here, like that's huge. Like, I know you realize that, but I just want to reflect that back to you because I think it's important that you see that. Mm. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you. I, um, I appreciate getting to tell my story because it helps me to remember. It feels like a long, long time ago and a very distant reality. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a privilege to get to tell the story again. Mm. Mm. <sighs> yeah. So about Brightline eating now, I've got to know <laughs> what yeah. is this thing that so, just downloaded into your psyche and meditation. <laughs> yeah. So Brightline eating is an eating approach that really takes seriously that food addiction is real, which it mm. is. We've got brain scans and, you know, really a pretty clear understanding now of how, the Franken foods in our food environment, you know, the foods that are ultra processed, that never really grow out of the ground that, you know, were born and bred in factories being poured into bags and so forth. These foods hijack the brain and food addiction is real and not every brain is equally vulnerable. So some people are not susceptible to addiction at all. It turns out not even to heroin. You can inject them with heroin over and over again. They won't get addicted. No kidding. Um, Nope. They'll develop some tolerance and some withdrawal. So they might look addicted uh, initially, but they'll easily get off it. They can't wait to get off it. And they, um, you know, well, just think about how many people get sent home with opioid pills after back surgery and need to take them every four to six hours around the clock. And most of them don't become pill heads after that. Right. So. Um, and, and, you know, these people, because they can have a cigarette at a concert and then they won't smoke another cigarette for another month or two or five or a year, or they won't think about it. Right. They actually don't need a cup of coffee every morning. Um, they can drink caffeine here and there. Um, so a third of brains just aren't vulnerable to addiction. A third are moderately susceptible and a third are highly susceptible And yeah, you're raising your hand to the highly susceptible category. (laughs) Me too. Hello. Um, Yeah, it's actually, I have a quiz for food addiction uh, susceptibility in particular. And uh, it's, you know, the the score comes out on a scale from one to 10 and God bless me. I'm a 10. And it's like the one time where it's kind of a bummer to be a perfect 10. It's like, oh, shoot. Um, So Brightline Eating uh, really understands that for a lot of people, and we're not talking about a small number of people. Um their weight struggles are due to an underlying addiction. And for some people, when you eat a bite of a dessert, you know, these people, they eat a bite of dessert after a meal and they savor it slowly. And then they put down the fork and it's all they wanted. Just that one bite, just hit the spot. Right. And for those people, maybe an itch to have a little bite of chocolate or something, it just scratches the itch and, and it, the itch goes away. And then for others of us, when we engage in the same exact behavior, the itch just gets itchier. We scratch it and it gets itchier. We scratch it again and it gets itchier. And 
there's no peace down the path of eating dessert. It's just not going to go well. It, it never goes well. Right. And so with bright line eating, we have a bright line for sugar, flour, uh, grazing and snacking. We eat meals only and for quantities. So we're careful with our quantities, but not actually to restrict them, but to make sure that we get enough food. Cause so many people wanting to lose weight or wanting to fix their eating have really silly notions about how little food they should be eating. And especially if they're eating a whole real food, they probably need to be eating two or three times that much. So, um, we use a digital food scale to make sure that people are eating enough food and eating the right amounts of food. Um, so those are the four bright lines, sugar, flour, meals, and quantities. It's a very structured way of eating and, uh, counterintuitively, the structure provides a lot of freedom, a lot of success and a lot of freedom. So the program has a lot of support. It's got a lot of scientific education, a lot of cognitive behavioral education, a lot of deep work involved in it. Cause of course we were eating over stuff, you know? Uh, so there's deep work involved. It's a very holistic program and it provides real recovery and yes, incredible weight loss, um, with multiple journal articles and conference scientific conference presentations, peer reviewed. I have never seen and I, you know, as a tenured professor teaching this stuff at the university level, right. I have never seen results like this anywhere. We published in the journal of nutrition and weight loss recently, uh, years out people maintaining incredible, like three times clinically significant weight loss on average. And that's, you know, some people of course are maintaining, you know, all their excess weight loss. And, um, as a group though, no regained weight after the initial two month bright line eating camp. two years later, no regained weight as a group people who That's continue impressive. on with it's, it's ridiculous. You don't see that anywhere. And, um, most programs don't have two year published data at all because they wouldn't, because nobody's maintaining their weight loss at all. Right. Sure. So, um, yeah, it's a revolutionary program. It takes a very, very different approach. There's a lot of neuroscience underneath why we do what we do. If you look at what the standard prevailing advice is around weight loss, we take uh, a completely different approach on almost every point. It's fun to kind of go through that, those points. Cause you know, we're just so renegade in what we do, but it works. And, and it makes sense, right? If 99% of people, um, are not going to lose their weight and keep it off right out there with what people are doing in the world, it makes sense that something that actually works would be, uh, looking and sounding radically different. You know, it's very counterintuitive that the structure provides so much freedom, but it does. <laughs> I can totally understand that because I'm a structure kind of girl. Like you give me the structure, the container, you tell me the rules of the game and I'm going to play to win. Like that's my nature. But I also know that there's a lot of people who don't necessarily have that as their nature or they've been traumatized or felt like a failure so many times that, okay, great. Another program. So tell me why somebody who in that mindset should be listening to you. Well, Here's what I've found that's really interesting is that there's a set of psychological phenomena that explain the state of mind of the person that you're talking about, especially in relation to food and weight, right? Um, maybe you want to call it learned helplessness, but it's, it's a beleaguered, um, downtrodden, uh, sort of like almost out of self-preservation. I will not try again. Right. It's just too demoralizing. Yeah. And, and in 
many cases, I know that I went this route for a while in my twenties, just the body acceptance. I'm just going to have, I need to accept that I'm going to be heavy. You know, it seems to be my constitution. There is no solving this problem. Right. And so I've got to go the radical self-love route and really any uh, talk of weight loss just becomes, you know, just get that away from me. You know, I don't, I've done that. It doesn't work for me. Right. Yeah. And so one of the things that's happening in the brain to create that is um, a history of failures. And the reason the history of failures is created, even when, and we all know, cause we tried, right. We meant it. We started off on the plan and sure. we, you know, measured all our body measurements and got our scale measurement and read the book thoroughly or studied the plan carefully or went to the meetings faithfully and dotted the I's and crossed the T's and got the foods. And we started off with such fanfare. And then there's really no adequate explanation for how, Two weeks later, two months later, we were, you know, eating nachos and drinking beer on a Friday night with our friends thinking, well, you know, and what happened, right? That we, especially given that so many of us uh, have seen ourselves sustain passion and willpower in other domains, right? Like I decided to run a marathon at the time that I was obese, I decided to run a marathon and <laughs> with two other friends, we trained for it. And six months later, I ran that marathon without taking a single walking step. When I started training, I couldn't run to the mailbox. I was absolutely completely out of shape. I was never a jogger. I hated running, but I You're watched amazing. myself sustain this effort for six months, but I couldn't do that with my food. Never would I last mm. six months on something, right? Yeah. There's something different about the food game. And here's, here's the deal. Here's what's different. When you... um don't know how to work with your brain when you're working against your brain. And what that means is you're still eating a lot of the foods that are going to keep your brain hijacked and mm -hmm. eating in a lot of the ways that are going to keep your brain hijacked. As soon as you create some sort of calorie deprivation state, your brain is going to notice because it, it, that's its job, right? Hey, you're not eating enough food. This is a problem. This is a big deal. And if that is sustained over weeks and weeks and weeks, it becomes a bigger problem to the brain and the brain will kick into a mode to correct the issue. It will force you to eat. Now it'll force you to eat in a very tricky way. It will make you think you've changed your mind. It will make you believe you've decided to go out and have beer and nachos. Now you can prove this to yourself by putting it into a different domain where the time scale is shorter. Do it with oxygen. Try to run up 50 flights of stairs, holding your breath. Imagine there's a duffel bag with a hundred million dollars at the top. And if you succeed at running up all those stairs, holding your breath, that money is yours. So incentivize yourself mentally to the max. You absolutely must hold your breath running up all those stairs. You won't make it. And it, I mean, you can make this, even just do this sitting in your chair, just try to hold your breath for 10 minutes. Right. Sure. And imagine you get a hundred million dollars if you can hold your breath for 10 minutes and you won't make it. And what will happen, watch how your mind talks to you. At some point you will believe you decided to breathe, that you changed your mind and you gave up. Mm. It will come as a voice in your own head, in your own voice, mm. in your own voice. You'll believe that you changed your mind. And this is what, what, 
uh, neuroscientists know now about free will and willpower. There are certain places where we just don't have any, right? And it it is that way with food. So if you haven't made the proper adjustments and aren't working the right plan, you're going to come face to face with a belief that you just changed your mind about something that another part of you knows darn well means the world to you. That means that matters to you more than anything that is at the top of your personal growth list. As soon as you decide to get your act together and, you know, be the person you were meant to be, it's like, I got to get this weight off, right? It's at the top of the list. So there's no convincing that part of you that it doesn't matter to you. It does matter to you. That part knows it. And there's no convincing this part that you didn't just change your mind and decide to say, oh, screw it. We'll just go, you know, eat a bunch tonight. Right. And so what happens now is something called self-perception theory kicks in, which was discovered or outlined in 1972 by this guy, Daryl Bem from Cornell University. And what he said is we learn about ourselves about our attitudes, our beliefs. We learn all about ourselves by watching our behavior. Now, this is counterintuitive. You might think that you know who you are and that drives your behavior. Like, I know that I ascribe to this set of politics, so I'm going to go into the booth and vote accordingly. And what he says, no, 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 you've actually learned over the years that you ascribe to that set of political beliefs by watching your voting. That's what he would say. That's the flip around of self-perception theory. So what self-perception theory uh weighs in and says is that in order to bridge the gap between what we should be, how we should be behaving, if we truly, you know, are sincere in our weight loss efforts and how we actually are behaving, what he says is we come to believe that we don't love ourselves, that we don't value ourselves, that we hate ourselves, Mm -hmm. that we don't have willpower, that we're worthless, that we don't care enough, that where iris- I mean, fill in the gap of like, how would you bridge that gap of like, I believe this set of things on one hand. And then on the other hand, I keep doing this over and over and over again. Right. And so the entire effort creates a set of psychological issues that what I find is once you get the brain on board and you start having one bright meal after another, breakfast, lunch, dinner, just like you committed, and you start to actually follow a plan that allows you to be successful, what happens is about, I don't want to be too too dramatic here, but in my experience, about 70 to 80% of your psychological issues around this stuff just melt away. Because all it takes is you watching yourself succeed at this, like, Mm -hmm. like you know you want to, right? And now all of a sudden the world makes sense again. I mean, not to say that there aren't issues, perhaps past sexual abuse or, um, you know, not to say that there aren't issues also, right? Um, But so the person who, now this is all that backdrop to answer your question, the person who's saying, yeah, I I don't want to hear about a weight loss program for whatever reason, but probably because I've tried so many of them and failed. Right. And I also don't want to buy into the notion that I need to be a certain size to be valuable because I've debunked that, you know, thank you very much. Right. Um, that person, uh, all I want to say is, uh, it's different when you're working a different kind of program. It's a game changer, right? Mm. It's a game changer. You have never had the tools before, to actually work with your brain to be successful in your endeavors. And it really is a powerful thing to finally get an alignment with your values and your hopes for your eating journey, right? It, it really is terrible to keep eating 
in a way that feels out of alignment. When you want to be honoring your body and you find yourself yet again, feeling like you decided, quote unquote, decided to eat this or that thing. And you're like, what am I doing? I know this doesn't work for me. There is a path to integrity and alignment and it's, it's worth it to take steps on that path. Mm, That's a really beautiful answer. And thank you for saying that. I'm curious. So I don't know anything about bright line eating. And what I heard you say was, you know, someone who quote unquote falls off. This is what I, my perception of what you said was someone who falls off, uh, might go to eat nachos and drink beer. Does that mean that those people who are doing bright line eating can never eat those foods again? Uh, so yeah, nachos and beer aren't on the bright line eating food plan. And we really encourage people to take it one day at a time. Uh, but it is true. I mean, the, the switch around there, you know, so it's sort of like your question is like, is it really true that a vegetarian can never eat steak again? You know, and it's sort of like, well, yeah. And the vegetarian doesn't when, you know, at a steakhouse, the vegetarian doesn't say, oh, I can't eat that. The vegetarian says, I don't eat meat. So is there something on the menu here, you know, for, for a vegetarian, right? Yeah. Um, so it's not, I can't, I don't, I don't eat those foods anymore because it doesn't go well for me when I do. Such an important distinction. I mean, I've, I've talked to people about changing their diet every day and commonly there's this grief process that I hear people. Yeah. yeah, You know, like they go in the grocery store and, and I've even seen this done in in my own self, you know, I'm in the grocery store and buying my healthy foods and looking at the basket next to me and it has all the unhealthy foods or maybe stuff that I used to think was healthy, but really I know is not now. (laughs) Right. Well, that's not so bad. And they have it in their basket. Why can't I have it in mine and crying about it? Right. Because I can't have it or I can't drink. Like I'm, I don't really drink alcohol. And, um, for me, alcohol doesn't allow me to be at my hundred percent best self. So I don't like not being at my hundred percent best self. So I just don't drink alcohol, uh, most of the time. So, um, for me, it's not a matter of, oh, I wish I could have alcohol because it makes me feel so crappy, you know, Uh, I'm not sure that people who are right now drinking beer and eating nachos and watch, you know, on a regular basis, understand the impact that that is having on their body and their psychology. Yeah, totally. Um, and right. Some of them do, some of them don't. And maybe it's not, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, no. I'm cer- I'm certainly not here to judge. I think some people yeah, eat, eat nachos and drink beer just fine sometimes. Yeah, that's you know? true. Um, <laughs> My boyfriend's one of those. He can eat whatever he wants and his mood never changes. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. But he's one go. of those who doesn't get addicted to things either. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely not in the judging business or the convincing sure. business or the like anything, you know, bright line eating is definitely not for everybody. Um, it tends to be for people who've tried a lot of things, um, mm. and have not succeeded people who want to get excess weight off and people who, um, are maybe higher than average when it comes to addictive susceptibility. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and people who really, really want an effective solution, uh, and are excited about that idea there of having is. something work finally. Yeah. Uh, that's who Brightline Eating's for. And, you awesome. know, it's like, it's not everybody at all, you know? So 
And there's no problem with that. <laughs> no problem yeah, with that totally. Totally. So how do you take someone who says, oh, I've tried everything. I'm really ready for something to work. I want to say yes to this. And I'm so scared to give up my beer and nachos. How, how do you navigate that? Like, you know, I've seen all kinds of programs that baby step you, some of them just take it all away and you're doing this new thing. And, you know, sometimes there's a refractive period where you're like, screw all that. I'm going to go the opposite way, like drug addiction. Right. How, how does you, how do you handle it with Brightline? I say, of course you're scared. Of Mm. course you're scared. Like that's natural. It's probably a really good sign. It means, you know, in the body, fear and excitement are the same system pretty much. It's just sympathetic nervous system arousal, right? Like you're just all lit up, right? And you can you can tell yourself the story that you're scared and you, probably parts of you are, you know, for sure. And why wouldn't you be? I mean, fear of the unknown, fear of it not working, fear of, you know, feeling deprived. I will say that when you've been eating, you know, sort of the standard American diet for a while, dopamine downregulation has kicked in. And at first things are going to feel pretty bleak, um, more at the thought of giving up the foods than the actual reality, right? The thought of giving up those foods, it's very much like, you know, um, telling a junkie, you're going to take away their dope. Oh my gosh. It feels really scary. Um, And, you know, I tell people you're going to do it one day at a time. You're going to do it in community. And, you know, really there's just no substitute for just getting started with the Brightline Eating membership because I hold their hand every step of the way getting started. They're not on their own getting started. So I say, of course you're scared. That's awesome. That's you're right where you're supposed to be. It, it means you're, you're probably more likely to be successful. I think someone that's like, la di da, you know, uh, no, no, you should be taking this seriously and you probably should be feeling pretty scared. You know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And you know, what's so lovely about what you're offering is that you've walked this path and not just with food, but with drug addiction and prostitution, like those are two addictions as well. Right. Um, you, you've walked this path and, and done so much recovery in so many different areas. You, I can only imagine that the guidance that you have for people that are ready to take action in this way is superior to many of the self-help programs out there. I would just imagine that. Plus I'm hearing now that you've mentioned it, that there's a community. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, the community is just to die for. It's so loving, so supportive. You know, it's, it's take it or leave it, right? We, we really understand introversion and extroversion and a range of needs. And also we understand that a lot of us have an isolator part that keeps us from support that we really need, right? Mm-hmm. And that can take all kinds of forms. We help people understand their isolator part um, as well. And um, we have an online community uh, where people, when they sign up for the Brightline Eating membership, they get put into a homeroom and their homeroom is their home base. It's a group of people who are similar to them in a lot of ways. And um, there it's large enough that, you know, when they post, they're going to get feedback, you know, there's going to be responses and so forth. And then our community also is set up where there's a directory online. So you can search the world for people near you. You can search and sort the directory by any number of demographics or factors, everything from your religion to your sexual orientation to um, the number of kids that you have to whether your partner does or doesn't do bright line eating or is, or isn't supportive of bright line eating to, oh, wow. I mean, just so you fill out your profile and then other people can say, you know, Oh, I have 
you know, I have three sons too. I want to, or I have a one-year-old also, and I'm trying to do bright line eating, but it's hard because I'm still breastfeeding and da, 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 you know, whatever. So, um, the directory is really helpful. And we, we help people form supportive small groups called mastermind groups, which are where four people get together on a weekly basis to support each other in bright line eating, but really in life. And, uh, my mastermind group has been going on for seven years now. Uh, we wow, meet every single amazing. week. Yeah. Wow. We, we help people find buddies, which are just one-on-one relationships. Often people will text or call their buddy to commit their food every day. Like, here's what I'm going to eat for the day and so forth. So Here's what the data show is um, the Bright Line Eating community is so powerful and the Bright Line Eating program is so powerful that when people start Bright Line Eating after two months, their, um, their worlds have changed. You know, they don't feel lonely anymore. They um, have a perception of support and connection in their life. They're answering way higher to a question like, if you were in distress or had an emergency, do you have someone that you know would come over to your house right away to support you and help you? Um, And uh, their fatigue goes down, their energy goes up, their depression goes down, their Mm. days of poor mental health become fewer and fewer and fewer Um, there's just, and interestingly, we tracked these data for years. And then, uh, in a study that we presented at a scientific conference, we analyzed the data before and after the heat of the emergency around COVID and then compared that to what were the results during March, April, May, and June of 2020, right? When, when the world was Tips up, tipped upside down on us. And we were all just going, what is going on? And what we found was the already really robust effects of this social support, improving people's quality of life was even amplified bigger, significantly bigger during the time of COVID. Like it's really an effective place to lean in. So, um, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, especially in COVID, how many people do you know who gained weight? Like it's a, it's like a thing. People yeah. started drinking more, smoking more pot, doing more drugs and eating more food. Like that was just, and watching more TV. Yeah. Like, wow. I think there was that? a meme. I, there was a meme I saw early on in COVID that said at the end of COVID, you'll either be a hunk, a monk, a chunk, or a drunk. Or drunk. Yes. <laughs> and it's so true. <laughs> so true. So um, I think we do have the numbers on weight gain uh, through the pandemic. Um, in the first year in the United States of the COVID pandemic, 42% of people in the United States gained unintended weight, unwanted weight. Um, and what that probably did is it probably brought us up to 50% obesity. Uh, and that would be literally nine years early. We weren't supposed to hit 50% obesity in the United States until 2030. Wow. Um, and back in 2018, we were at 42%. We don't know yet because it takes them a while to crunch those numbers. It usually takes about two years to crunch the numbers. So next year sometime, we'll get the official data on, you know, where was the obesity rate after one year of the pandemic in 2021. And, um, I think it might be tw- uh, 50%, which it, it, we're starting to get, I mean, we have been for a long time, but we're starting to get into really, really scary territory, really yeah. scary ter- territory with our collective weight. It's, um, it's frightening. Yeah. And, you know, of course we don't want to be the airbrushed model on the magazine cover who doesn't even really look like that, right? Which is the programming that we've had in the past. And now the programming is going towards, well, it's okay to be obese. 
Yeah. How do you beat that? Yeah. It's really challenging. What I find is that we're just missing so much nuance, right? It's like, it's like societally we're using sledgehammers and we need scalpels to Mm. really kind of carve out what we intend here. Right. So like, amen and hallelujah, no discrimination, no prejudice. Um, absolutely. Right. Like here's a horrifying statistic is that, um, the hard costs of living with obesity in the United States are $6,000 a year for a man and $8,000 a year for a woman. Hard costs. That's not even counting the excess food that you're eating to maintain the weight. It's actually things like increased insurance costs, increased gasoline costs. I'm talking hard costs. This was a study done by George Washington University. Now, why is it different for a man versus a woman? Because women, but not men will earn a a smaller salary on average if they uh, have clinical obesity, right? As compared with a man, a man can carry excess weight and it won't affect his salary. So right there, it's like, it's like, hell no. Right. So this is where it's like, we do need a rethinking around the meaning that we give size, right? It's not true or okay to be uh, walking around thinking that someone who's carrying excess weight is lazy or stupid, which is, these are common stereotypes, right? Like there is an overhaul that we have to um, say yes to in terms of our thinking. And also it's, it's true that there are huge health costs to carrying excess weight. And I really take, I, well, the health at any size movement, I think no matter what size you are, foster your health. Absolutely. And I know that the movement against um, discrimination and poor treatment in doctor's offices against someone who's carrying excess weight, that's really important too, right? But to use the sledgehammer and say, you know, um, there's no relationship between health outcomes and body size. I mean, that's just that's absolute flat out falsehood and denial, right? There's a massive literature saying that um, the outcomes are uh, hugely important and size is one of the best uh, indicators of health outcomes, right? Uh, And with COVID, not even linked through any other comorbid disease, but the cost of being overweight or obese on its own is going to increase your odds of death, death from COVID, right? So Anyway, yeah, we need we need more sensitive um, ways and nuanced ways of thinking about this. Race plays in, you know, like I you you read the title of my first book, which is a book I'm tremendously proud of. I love that book, and I cringe at the title now. I wrote that title back in two, you know, so six years ago or something. Happy, thin, and free: the science of living happy, thin, and free. I don't say that anymore. I never talk about li- you know striving to live thin. I talk about a bright body, which is a it's a very personalized, nuanced, empowered concept that is not about striving to be thin, which is not everyone's goal, nor should it be. So, um, but for a lot of people, uh, putting some effort into losing excess body fat is absolutely an empowered choice and something that they may very well decide is in their best interest for a whole host of reasons. I love that you made that clarification about the title of your book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, it, it's not a trivial thing to change the title of a, of a no, book once it's, it's published. Uh, but when the huh. second edition comes out, it will not be titled that, you know, it'll awesome. probably be called yeah. something like bright line eating the science of sustainable weight loss or something. Like I that. love that. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's just really a testimony to your growth. Sure. Yeah. We, yeah. we learn. And, you know, for a long time, you know, I'm a 47 year old white you know, well-educated Western woman. And I wanted to be thin. 
I wanted to be thinner than I was. I wanted to be thin. To me, thin was a good word, right? right? And it took a lot more education and listening and learning and being open and compassionate and curious to realizing like, oh, that's a terrible title for a book that's trying to help people in the way that I'm trying to help people. Yeah. I mean, but that was your desire for yourself. So of course everybody else needs that too, right? Sure. Sure. And, and there's lots of people who do want that. There's some people who are like, Hey, what's wrong with trying to be, well, I think this is again, the the scalpel, not the sledgehammer, right? Like now our society has gone to like, to the point where uh, there would be uh, shame and recrimination foisted on someone who is trying to be thin. Right. And it's sort of like, well, assuming that their aim is, is a healthy weight for them. I don't actually see the difficulty with that endeavor. Right. Assuming that it's not you know, obsessive or taking up too much of their space. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time teaching people to put the life back in their life, right? Like, like teaching people to get over the food and the weight issue. That's really the goal is to, is to, is to be done with the food and the weight issue already. That is so vital because even on your quest, like I, I heard a woman, she's in my dance class and she said, Um, she was planning on doing a water fast for the weekend and she didn't get to do it. And she was really upset. And her, her words were, I'm doing this so I can, so I can be healthier so I can create autophagy and, you know, all the things, right. The things, but I also heard without her even having to say is that I hate my belly and I want to lose weight and be thin and feel good in my clothes and naked. Yeah. Right. But she's convinced herself she's doing this for health reasons. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. Research shows that people are spending as much money as ever trying to lose weight, but they're not calling it a weight loss attempt anymore. Right. Mm. But they're spending money on products and services to lose weight at the same rates. It's the same, it's the same issue, but you're right. It's gotta be cloaked now in a different, uh, garment and, you know, bright line eating, we don't, we don't pull the punch. We're a weight loss company. Wow. We, we are a weight loss company. We help people lose weight. That is what we do. And yes. we help a certain kind of people lose weight in a certain kind of way. And in a it's healthy not a- way, it sounds like. Like this really, like what's going to be the healthiest way for my mind, my mind, my body, and my spirit to, a, to shift into a transformative state for myself and for the people that I love and serve. Yeah, it's true. And so, you know, the Bright Line Eating fans, oh my gosh, they're rabid fans. Like we have a lot of people who, you know, kind of like the CrossFit people, right? Like they're like, I love my, you know, that's how people are about bright line eating. But again, it's not for everybody. Just like CrossFit isn't for everybody. For sure. For sure. And I love to hear that you have such a uh, connected community because when you're trying to do something like this, like I know that pretty much everyone that's ever tried to do a diet on their own has probably failed at least once. Right. But to have community and other people who are on the path with you and the support is just exponentially improves your potential for success. So I really appreciate our conversation. I know we're wrapping up on our time. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we go? Oh gosh. Well, if there's anyone out there, I think I'm feeling a specific person right now. If you are really resonating with this and you have tried to change your eating many, many times in the past, um, I just want you to know, I feel your pain. I, I Mm. know, I know how it's been. It was my story for a long, long time. And I just want you to know that there is hope out there 
there is a way to feel successful in this area, to find peace with your eating, with your body, with your food. And there's a lot of support for you if you, if you want to give it a try. Right. And we've made it really, really easy to give Brightline Eating a try. As a matter of fact, um, you can start for free. And um, after that, it's, it's, it's really less money than you would spend on one impulse restaurant meal. It's 20 bucks a month. So 200 bucks a year, 20 bucks a month to be in Brightline Eating, doing it fully and experiencing the results that I was talking about today. Yeah. It used to be a thousand dollars for the first year of Brightline Eating, but we built up our infrastructure and um, got some good tech going and we've brought the investment all the way down to 20 bucks a month and a free trial for the first two weeks. So you can really be sure that it's for you. Wow. That's really amazing. So now there's no reason to say no. If you're saying no to this, it's there's something in you that's resisting and you need to take a look at that. Like, and you just heard that it in two months, people are seeing some resolution and results and uh, softening of their own inner story around addiction to food and things like that. So, I mean, what is eight weeks when you've probably spent many months in trying to do your own uh, weight loss recovery kind of thing. So, um, yeah, really exciting. Thank you for making it so available for people. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a big part of my mission for sure mm-hmm. is access. Yeah. It's super available all at just brightlineeating.com. So it's spelled the typical way B R I G H T L I N E E A T I N G brightlineeating.com and everything that they need, including more information is right there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, what we'll do is we'll put your links in the show notes and uh, you'll have access to go down, click on her links and get access and get your membership going for free until you decide if you want to continue with that. And uh, yeah, you'll have all your contact, her contact information will be there. So thank you so much for being on our show today. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing how all this unfolds. Thanks so much, Brandy. Thanks so much. Great to be with you today. Such a powerful story, right? Oh, I so hope that this landed for you and touched your heart and you have direction of a new way, a different approach to address your relationship with food and your own body. I also want to remind you that addressing your subconscious programming and patterns that keep you stuck may also be another adjunctive way to care for yourself so that you don't have to struggle so hard as you begin to change your eating style. I am here for you. I am offering you right now, mention this show and you're going to get a complimentary consultation or click the link below virtual or in person. And you're going to find out if you have some subconscious programming that may be in the way of you achieving your dreams in with yourself, with your relationship with food and with your body. All right, mama, I'm here for you and I can't wait to see you. Thank you for listening to the ultimate biohack for women. If you'd like to dive deeper with our tribe, join us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you'd like to help grow our tribe, share this episode with your friends. Let's bring this light to our community so that other women can know their true power and we can create a tribe together worth being in. This podcast is for information purposes only. Dr. Brandy Victory is not a medical doctor. And the views and statements expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Dr. Brandy Victory and the producers, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, 
and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.